I want to, before we uh, begin this morning, I want to echo what Joe said and welcome everybody who is here. If you're visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. Uh, For those that are watching through streaming, welcome to you as well. I want to thank people that uh, we don't always think about. I think, uh, think of Tina Watts who comes early and gets this ready for us. I think of, um, yeah, I think of uh, Susie, the musicians, um, our media people. Uh, just, uh, it was really great to come into worship today and, and, uh, and all the intentionality behind that. If you are visiting, my name is Shelton Woods. Uh, if you are visiting, my name is still Shelton Woods. Um, but uh, we're, we're looking at uh, a very important part of Scripture today. In the book of Matthew, chapter 10, we have the first listing of the 12 disciples. And uh, Matthew gives the first listing of the 12 disciples. But before he gives the list... He puts a Greek word in there, and then he makes the list. And that Greek word is the word protos. We uh, get the word prototype from protos. Before listing the 12 disciples, he says protos, which means the most prominent one, the first one, the chief, the leader, and then he says Peter. Peter was the leader. Of the 12 disciples. John's gospel, which we are finishing today, assuredly was the last of the four gospels that was written. And the last lengthy recorded dialogue that Jesus has is with the leader of the 12. We'll read this together then. We're going to look at uh, Peter writing 30 years later uh, a couple of letters. So let's look at John chapter 21 here. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also leaned back against him during the supper. And he he said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Uh, When Peter saw him, he said, Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And then just a couple of verses from the first letter that we have from Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then from his last letter, perhaps written weeks before his death, he writes to the church, I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Let us pray. Our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for these words. We thank you for how they have been preserved by the Holy Spirit. We ask uh, for your strength today, for the weakness of the one speaking, for those who do not believe this morning, you would give them faith. For those who are doubting, that you would increase their faith. For those, and they are many, who are crushed in spirit, we pray that you would heal them this day through the power of your word, because we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. No one knows how it happened, but on May 30th of 1626, just 15 years before the Ming Dynasty fell, in Beijing, there was a factory that manufactured guns and cannons and gunpowder. And at 11 o'clock that morning, it exploded, killing 20,000 people. Three centuries later, in 1917, when the Europe was fighting a world war, China wanted to come to the aid of the British. And so the British said, okay, if you want to come and help us, send over some troops and uh, we'll have them dig trenches and cut barbed wires. And so about a thousand Chinese volunteers got onto the French cargo ship, the SS Athos, heading toward France to help France in World War I and to help the British. And on February 17th, just south of Malta, the ship was spotted by a German U-boat, which sank the ship, and 754 men drowned. Finally, on September 17th, 1940, uh, what we see is that Britain is being bombarded uh, by Germany from the air. And so 
parents are afraid that their kids are going to be killed, and so they put their kids on this uh, SS city of Benares ship to get them out of Liverpool to head toward Canada so that they will be saved. But as it was leaving, it was spotted by a German U-boat, which sunk the Benares, drowning 87 children and 175 adults. Students often come to me and say, Dr. Woods, I really, I just love history. I want to I read history. And I, I want to tell them, well, as you read history, 20,000 people, 700 people, 84 children, they're usually just footnotes. We live in a time and in a place on this earth where it's difficult to understand things. How do we make sense of seeming random brokenness? That's at a macro level. How about your own experience? How are we to understand our own losses? The unexplained tragedies in our life. The loss of a child. The loss of a sibling. The untimely death of someone that we love. More than any other literature in all of history, the Gospel of John provides insight and meaning into our lives. And it's been a wonderful study. And I encourage you to go back to the very beginning, uh, Pastor Brad's first sermon, and, and work your way again through the Gospel of John. It gives the answers that we are looking for in a world that often doesn't make sense. But now we come perhaps to the most difficult passage of all of the Gospel of John, if not the New Testament. Again, because of limits of our vocabulary and time, there's only two things that I want to point out here this morning. The first is the request, and it's already been mentioned, that Jesus gives to Peter three times, feed my sheep. Three times, feed my lambs. We are shaped by the time and place that we live in. And so we struggle, whether you know it or not, with uh, geographical, chronological, and theological snobbery. We live at the most important time, in the most important place, with the most correct theology. And so when we read this, we automatically think of ourselves and what we need. But Jesus has been feeding his church in various ways for 2,000 years since he established that church. And it's probably outside of our bonds of thinking, and we thank God for that. The church is much broader than the, these United States than this time. The world's population right now is about 7.3 billion people. 5.6 billion of them, 70%, live either in Asia or Africa. 70% of the world lives either in Asia or Africa. The average Christian in the world today is not white, but brown. Is not male, but female. She is 22 years old and lives below the equator. She's never read C.S. Lewis. She doesn't know what the Presbyterian Church in America is. She doesn't know about Starbucks. She really doesn't care whether there's going to be football this fall in colleges. She doesn't know about Netflix or Amazon Prime. 
but she loves Jesus. And there are millions of her. And Christ is feeding her. And we are as well as we pray, give, and work to provide shepherds for her. But that's not where we live today. We live in a culture of despair with a crisis of suicide, mental illness, depression, anxiety. Because of the prevalence of suicides in the United States between 1915 and 1918, three years in a row, the life expectancy in America went down. Three years in a row. That hasn't happened since World War I. And much of that was because of the Spanish influenza. There is a death march among the youth in our culture. And there are issues in the evangelical church. A um, a nice way of saying this is that about 9% of America identify themselves as evangelicals. But in the last 10 years, that has gone down by 2.6%. 75 to 80% of people in the evangelical church leave the faith between the ages of 18 and 30. It's 260,000 a year, 712 a day. What is the future of a group that loses its young? Well, it has the shelf life, about the shelf life of a blockbuster video store. What's happened? The feeding of the church has been part of the reason for this. Because of the way that we have been feeding the church, there's this increased vehemence against the church. Gabe Lyon, Dave Kinnerman, they've written a book called Unchristian, What a New Generation Thinks of Christianity. And they note in their study that the most recognized thing about evangelical Christians in the wider community, in the wider culture, is that they have a disdain for those with lifestyles and politics that they don't agree with. Not disagreement with an action, but disdain for individuals. That's what the culture thinks we hold to. That may be misrepresented, fueled by the media, but that's, that's how we are perceived in this culture. How has that happened? It is what the shepherds have been feeding the sheep. You know, we are in a difficult mission when the persons we wish to reach think that we disdain them. How about this? What if the number one characteristic that they thought of when they thought of Christians was that, boy, all that they speak about is Jesus. All they care about is loving God and everyone around them. This survey, there were 20 things that uh, these authors gave the wide culture to say, what do you think an evangelical Christian is? What are their characteristics? That was number 19 on the list, that they want to talk about Jesus, that they love me. Christ continues to feed his sheep. There's the second thing, and this is what struck me the most, and it may be 
why you might be scratching your head as you look at the title of this sermon, Waiting for 30 Years. What struck me most about this entire passage was one Greek word. You know, 100 years ago, it was a humongous task to read the New Testament in Koine Greek and then try and understand how were these words used in the first century. But thanks to databases now, what used to be a six-year dissertation is about 10 seconds. Um, And it's actually in verse number 18. Um, And notice what he says in uh, verse 18, John chapter 21. He starts out by saying, truly, truly, amen, amen, that is, Listen to me now, Peter. This is important. I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. That's only one Greek word, stretch out your hands. That is uh, the Greek word, uh, ektinice. And so you plug that in to a database of where was ektinice used in the first century? What did it refer to? And it referred to crucifixion. What Jesus is telling Peter here is that when you become an old man, you need to know that you are going to be crucified. And by the way, if you're not a Greek scholar, John makes it very easy for us because John says Jesus was telling him the manner by which he was going to die. And then... If you look at uh, uh, Peter chapter uh, two verse Second uh, uh, Peter chapter one verse fourteen, he says the same thing. I'm about to put off my body just like Jesus made clear to me. It's about to happen. And by the end of the first century, if you read Clement and other church fathers, they talk about this happening around sixty four A.D. Two 20th century Western thinkers, Albert Camus, the existentialist, said, and I've mentioned this before, I think in leading worship, Albert Camus said, I wonder if you would make this deal with me, that um, for 24 hours, I will give you anything that you want, anything, any food, any luxury, you can have anything you want in, for 24 hours. Just enjoy yourself. But after 24 hours, when the clock strikes 12, I'm going to put a bullet through your brain. He asks the question, how would you enjoy those 24 hours? (laughs) I I don't think it would be very enjoyable after eating filet mignon for the ninth time um, or whatever to know that I have four hours left. The clock is ticking. Ernest Becker wrote the Pulitzer Prize winning book, The Denial of Death, talking about how Americans do everything in their power to deny the fact that they're going to die. Now, here's the deal. Peter had 30 years of waiting to be crucified. 30 years. He knew how he was going to die. 
He had 30 years to wake up and wonder, is today going to be the day? How did he live knowing this? Friends, how do you live knowing that you're not going to live forever? Well, real quickly, we see that he says here um, in Second Peter chapter 1, um, the first thing he says is that um, I'm about to put off my body. And then verse 16, he says, I'm not that nervous because I haven't been following cleverly devised fables. I haven't been following fairy tales. This isn't a wish list that I've had my whole life. But I was there. I had three magical years. And when I look back at my life, the three years that stand out the most to me was following this man. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And then here it comes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How do we face our cross? How deep and nurturing is our relationship? So he knew this for 30 years and he was able to live with this for 30 years because he knew what he had followed wasn't this cleverly devised fable. He he saw it. Second of all, you notice that he says here, I don't have anything new to tell you. I just want to remind you of things that I've already told you. It was, it was things that he was remembering. What is it that I remember the most? What is it that you remember the most very easily? What do you think about the most? That's what you remember the most. And what incident did Peter say that he was thinking about as he was thinking about being crucified? Did you notice what incident? There's so many he could have gone to. Jesus walking on the water, Jesus healing people. He goes to the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. He says, I was there. I was on that holy mountain. I saw it. And who else was on that holy mountain with them? Moses and Elijah. He knew that there is a life beyond this one. He never forgot that. Jesus had died and Peter had never forgotten that Jesus rose from the dead. So this allowed him to live for 30 years knowing that this isn't all that there is. I think he was also able to live with this for 30 years knowing that I've already denied Christ once. Well, actually three times. And I know how that felt. I'm not going to do that again. And I know that willpower isn't enough. I thought willpower would do it. I know a sword isn't enough. I need Christ. I need his spirit. 
something has been replaced in my love for approval and acceptance, and that is my love for Christ. And then I wanted to show you in 1 Peter chapter 1, actually verse 3 here, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Born again to a living hope. John didn't come up with that born again. Peter wrote before John did. Peter says, I wake up every morning not knowing whether today is going to be my last day or not, but it doesn't matter. I've been born again. I have a living hope. All right. I began by speaking about how much of this world doesn't seem to make any sense. The tragedies and heartbreaks, shipwrecks. Is there anything that we can learn from this passage? I think that there is. And that is the ways of God are not our ways. We like to think of this world and even our relationship with God as one of a linear relationship. Uh, a quid pro quo, karma. This is, I will be good, then God will take care of me. That's embedded in us. If I go to church, look at, here we are. If I go to church, if I give money, if I stay away from certain sins, I know that God will bless me. We like to think that way because that puts us in control. Karma puts me in control. We're in the driver's seat. We think that an easy, comfortable life Wealthy life, which most of us have, is a sign of God's love. Tim Keller writes, one of the ways God punishes an evil person is by giving him success. Let me tell you something about Jesus and Peter. They absolutely loved each other. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, the first one to speak up, You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. Jesus looked at his disciples another time after 5,000 people, and he asked his disciples, are you going to leave me too? Peter spoke up. "Where, Where can we go? You have the words of life. Peter's walking on the water. All the other disciples are scared in the boat, and Peter says, hey, can I come out and walk to you? They're at the transfiguration. Nobody knows what to say. So Peter says, can I build you a a booth here? What can I do for you? They come to arrest Jesus and Peter takes out a sword. Oh, I, I need to tell you that Jesus loved Peter. We're told in the gospel of Mark that when the women saw the angels at the tomb, the angels said, I want you to go tell the disciples and especially Peter that Jesus has risen from the dead. And so Peter is grieved when Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? And he finally at the end says, Jesus, you know everything. You've got to know my heart. You know that I love you. I could be wrong, but I thought about it this week. I don't know if there is another place in the Gospels where Jesus prays for a disciple in a particular manner, except for Peter. Do you remember that story? 
Jesus says to Peter, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like a wind sifts seeds, but Peter, I have prayed for you. I love you. I got up early in the morning and I prayed for you. I don't think we we see him saying that to any other disciple. And so he says in verse 18, I love you so much, Peter, that you're going to be crucified. Wait a minute. I thought you loved me. I do. And so you're going to be crucified. Karma didn't seem to work there. Peter's faithfulness didn't seem to work there. Those of you that are watching, those that are here in the field, I want you to know that God loves you. And so so when you get that phone call, when you walk into the doctor's office and they give you that diagnosis, when your child dies, when your spouse passes away, when it comes your time, we don't shake our fist at Jesus and say, wait a minute, I thought you loved me. The person that he loved, he actually had to endure a cross. For to me, Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm, Paul says, um, at one point, I'm conflicted because I, I know it's better for you that I stay with you, but, but I, I'd rather die and be with Christ, which is far, far better. Both Peter and Paul understood this life is but a breath. And if anyone would save his life, he will lose it. But whoever loses his life will save it. I do not know what you're going through this Sunday morning or whenever you're watching this. It may seem senseless to you. It may seem unfair, heartbreaking, hard. So with just a couple of minutes left, let me leave you with these two thoughts. Last month on June 15th, 2020, it was the 20th anniversary of the death of a major figure in our denomination, the PCA. His name was James Montgomery Boyce. He was diagnosed with liver cancer He died six weeks later. He was the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, a church that did much good during the AIDS crisis. But he got up, and the last time he stood up in front of his congregation was 38 days before he died to tell them that he had liver cancer. It was the last time he had the call to worship. And this is what he said. It's possible, isn't it, to conceive of God as sovereign and yet indifferent. God's in charge, but he doesn't care. But it's not that. God is not 
only the one who is in charge. God is good. Everything he does is good. If God does something in your life that you don't like, would you change it? If you'd change it, you'd make it worse. It wouldn't be as good. So that's the way I accept this cancer and move forward. And who knows what God may do. And then there is this last thing. Joe was talking about how Christ has fed the church through the 2,000 years. He's given us so many women and men gifts. One of them was John Bunyan, who lived from 1628 to 1688. He wrote a great book called Pilgrim's Progress. There's a character in Pilgrim's Progress that actually reminds me of St. Peter. His name is Mr. Valiant for Truth. And in the story, Mr. Valiant of Truth has been told by Christ, it's time for you to die. And so let me close with what John Bunyan says about the death of Mr. Valiant for Truth. And let us think of St. Peter as he gathered those around him the night before he was crucified to tell them, it's my time. After this, Mr. Valiant for Truth called his friends to tell them he had been told it was time for him to die. Then he said to them, I am going to my father's, and even though there have been many hardships to get through in life, I don't regret anything that has brought me to this point. My sword I give to him that will succeed me, and my courage and skill to those who will take it. My marks and my scars I will carry with me as a witness that I have fought his battles, who now will be my rewarder. And as he stepped into the water that was soon to overcome him, he said, Death, where is thy sting? And as he went down deeper, he said, Grave, where is thy victory? So he passed over. And all the trumpets sounded for him on the other side. Glory be to God. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for our brother Peter, who lived 30 years trusting in your goodness knowing that you loved him even though he had to face a difficult end. Father, we pray that you would increase our faith, that you would strengthen in particular all saints as we seek to tell the world the good news of salvation of Jesus Christ, that he is making all things new through the power of the Holy Spirit And we pray this in the name of our shepherd, the one who gave his life for the sheep, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.